are thinking this is the penultimate, this is the second last, uh, and, and God willing, next week we will finish uh, chapter 14 and then move into uh, chapter 15 and have the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and those exciting things to look forward to. But at the moment we are in chapter 14. Uh, 12, 13, and 14 are about the spiritual gifts, and we've been going through these slowly and very carefully. And, and the reason we've been going through these chapters slowly and carefully is because when Paul wrote them to the Corinthians, he said, I do not want you to be uninformed. And 2,000 years later on, there's a lot of misinformation. And we need to go back to God's Word to see what God's Word tells us about these gifts of the Spirit, these spiritual gifts that are so important to church life. And yet, as we see from the book of Corinthians, can be got so wrong. Now, chapter 14 is is a very practical chapter within this series. And it's looking at the, the, the guiding principles and the application for how the Corinthians were to use their spiritual gifts in corporate worship, in, in their service times together. And, and, and there are very much uh, principles for us as a church, and we've been seeing these and going through these. And over the last couple of weeks, we, we, we've had these main points that the, the, the verses have brought out to us, which is see that we're to pursue love and the building up of the church. That, that's what spiritual gifts are about. They're to be done and used in the context of love, and they're to be for the building up of the church. We, we also saw from this passage, this chapter 14 so far, that the communication, the words, the, the language that we use in corporate worship is very important. It must be clear. It must be understood. People need to be able to engage mentally with God's word, with what has been said, with what has been sung, with what has been prayed, with what has been proclaimed. And Paul also tells this church to, to grow up. The, the church needed to grow up. They were, they were caught on in things that were keeping them back and hindering them. And one of the things that was holding them back was their obsession on the gift of tongues. That The gift of tongues was right in the moment, but it was wrong in that moment. And that moment was a moment when people were worshipping together and they should be understanding God's word, understanding what's been said for the edification, for the building up. And the tongues wasn't doing that. And, and Paul was saying, look, you grow up. That, that that's, has been, you need to move on. And so last week we saw from 20 through to 25 that the Corinthian tongues did not build up. The way the Corinthians were using tongues in their service, all talking together, it wasn't building up. And so they shouldn't use them like that. And we also saw that the Corinthians' tongues did not win the lost. People's souls weren't being saved when tongues were being used the way the Corinthians were using them. People were coming in and all the Corinthians were talking in tongues all at once. And the, the, the person was a non-believer. What were they thinking? These guys have gone mad. They're out of their mind. It was a bad witness. It was a bad testimony. And so Paul is building this up. And we saw last week that salvation is not a feeling. Salvation is not an emotion. Salvation is faith. And we were trying to illustrate faith to the children in a little way. And faith needs an intellectual comprehension. How could the brothers have faith in what they're about to do? Because I told them what to do. They, they listened to the instruction. They followed the instruction. They obeyed the instruction. And then they were, I think, quite surprised that they didn't fall crashing to the ground. From my angle, their faces looked very relieved. Yeah? There was an emotion there. There was an emotion of, we've been saved, yes? But the, the emotion didn't save them. Their faith in the truth that they've been told is what allowed them to do that. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is faith in the truth. The truth that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. That God himself came to this world. Fully man and fully God. And this God-man Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. Unlike us, each one of us here has at least sinned once. An hour. 
Possibly more, possibly less. But sin is what dogs us. We, we fail God's standard, God's perfect standard. We miss. But Christ never missed it. Christ as the man never, ever sinned outwardly or inwardly in his heart. And the wages of sin is death. And yet Jesus, who did not deserve to die, took death upon himself. He took death upon himself. And at that moment of death and at that moment on the cross, not only did he take death upon himself, but he took the punishment of the wrath of God for the sins of his people. And salvation is when we hear that and realize that we've sinned and fallen short and we call upon the name of the Lord and we trust that Jesus on the cross paid the price for our sins. And then when that comes true in our minds, there's an emotion. We're delighted. We're excited. We're amazed. We're astounded. But it's not the emotion that makes a salvation. It's Christ and Christ alone. And it's understanding it intellectually. You see, if you, if, if you don't have Jesus for yourselves in your head and your heart, if you have one or the other, you just have a religion. And what we need is a relationship with God through Jesus, which involves our heart and involves our head. And Paul moves on in this chapter and he carries on talking and he compares prophecy and tongues and he brings practical applications of the spiritual gifts in the life of the church at Corinth. And the section that we've come on to now, and if you're using the church Bible or if you've got an ESV, and lots of other Bibles have the same title, the section from 26 onwards is called Orderly Worship. Orderly Worship. And as I've been looking through this and studying this, I want to bring three principles. Three principles that Paul brought to the Corinthians that guided orderly worship. Now these principles are not going to surprise you. Paul has already brought them into this chapter. But he's underlining them, he's illustrating them, and he's bringing them out. And so there's going to be three points. Two of them will cover properly today. And one of them I just mentioned, and then God willing next week... As we wrap up this little series, we'll be looking at that. So we'll be thinking that all things are going to be done for the building up, all things done in order, and all things done under the authority of God's word. Now, that last one, we're going to be coming to in more detail next week, God willing. But I do need to say something about it at this stage. Yeah? It's worth pointing out. And it really is worth us holding on to today and every day we come to God's word. Is that as Christians, we must submit ourselves to the full counsel of God's word. Uh, as, as our brother Kephas was saying, as he introduced the church, he says we are a Bible-believing church. And the Bible is the center of what we do uh, you could say God is the center of what we do, but this is God's word. And this is how God speaks to us. And this is the final authority. But as it is the final authority, as it is God's word that's been given to us, we need to put ourselves under that authority. Uh, Stephen T. Um, in his commentary on this passage, asked these helpful questions. And I just want to throw them out to you this morning. Will we allow the Bible to challenge our built-in assumptions? Will we allow it to say what it says? Will we wrestle with what it actually says? Or have we a predetermined mind of what it is and what it is allowed to say and what it's not allowed to say. Friends, as we gather around God's word, we, we need to come with this attitude that this is God speaking to us, and this is the authority. And that's especially important for us this morning. It's especially important for us as we go through this passage, because the teaching may well go against the cultural norms. It may go against your personal presumptions. It may go against your personal preferences. You may have a preference that you like. 
You may have a presumption of what it is. And we have to lay them aside. And we have to say, God's word is absolute. We need to hear what God's word is saying. And we need to submit to God's word and not our culture. We need to submit to God's word and not our assumptions. We need to submit to God's word and not our traditions. Now, maybe in some miracle way, your culture and your tradition and your assumptions are perfect. And it's all God's word, yeah? And if that's the case, praise to God. But if it's not, then you've got a choice to make. Are you going to carry on in your own way? Or are you going to submit to God's word? Friends, we need to ask the Lord to truly help us. Truly help us to be... To, to, to come around his word in humility, to come with teachable spirits, to come uh, with humble hearts. And so the first main point that we have for this morning is all things done for building up. All things done for building up, and we see this in verse 26 of, of this chapter uh, 14 of, of 1 Corinthians. Paul is really warm to these Corinthians, yes? Throughout the whole of this book, we've seen that they've had problems, they've had sins, they've had difficult situations going on. But Paul has never totally given up on them at all, has he? He sees them as brothers. And just the, the third time in this chapter, in chapter in verse 6, he refers to them as brothers. In chapter 20, he refers to them as brothers. And in this chapter 26, he starts, what then, brothers? There's a love for these people. Paul is not coming to them as some sort of headmaster who doesn't like his students and he's wanting to beat up on them because he's annoyed with them, yes? It, it was sort of interesting to me. Friday evening we had the men's meeting. And prior to the men's meeting, somehow we got onto the subject of flogging. And somehow we got onto the subject of how schools in, 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 in certain parts of Africa would flog their, their, their students, and then there's sort of this, this master, the headmaster, this school teacher, there's the prefects who are malicious and nasty, yeah? And then the girls, some of the girls around our house yesterday, and guess what their topic of conversation around the table was? I don't think they called it flogging, but they called it discipline. And again, the similar sort of story of, of, of how that's wrong. This is not Paul being malicious or wicked. This is Paul as a pastor. This is Paul as, as a spiritual leader of this church, concerned for his people, concerned for this church at Corinth. And he connects with them, and he calls them brothers. He doesn't say, oh, congregation down there. He doesn't lift himself. He's calling them as, as, as himself. He's bringing them into his own environment. He's saying, brothers, what then, brothers? And when it says brothers here, it can be brothers and sisters. It's the church family. It's the church community. It's the, the family together. But before he says brothers, he says, what then? What then? And, and as we study God's word, as we go into God's word, these little phrases help us to understand what's going on. They help us to understand the context. This is a continuation of this chapter 14. What he's been saying about tongues and prophecy, he's now saying, what's then? This is the conclusion. This is the application. This is the bringing of it together, yes? And he says, what then? And this is the big application of, of chapter 14. In some ways, you could say it's, it's a big application of 12, 13, and 14 coming together. And, and so he, he brings it, and he says, when you come together. So what then, brothers? When you come together. And when he talks about coming together, he's talking about the church family meeting together. And I want to bring a, a mini point out here, which is so, so important. This was one of the first churches to be established. This is one of the first letters to the early church. And, and the principle here was that the church, the local church, the body of the church, would come together. And, and so I want to state this. The church, as a body of believers... A church as a local body of believers must come together. And, and why do I make that emphasis? Well, dare I mention that word COVID? Do you remember COVID? We'd like to forget it, wouldn't we? But it is there and it's scarred our past. 
And in the early weeks of COVID, I was preaching here to the camera and a couple of other people were allowed in and everyone else was back at home. And I'm guessing some of you hadn't got yourselves dressed up like you got dressed up today. You may have still been in your pajamas or in your bed or maybe even asleep saying, I'll catch up with it later. And we went through a long time of that. We went through a long time of not being able to come together and meet together. And and the reality is, this church building has never been as full as it was before COVID. And that means there are people who decided, for whatever reason, and some have moved on because that's what's had to happen, but some people have decided that coming together isn't important. And sometimes we get situations where someone might come this week, but then prefer to not be here for a couple of weeks, and then come a following week. And COVID and what happened has been used by the devil to facilitate, to encourage people not to take the meeting together seriously. You see, online can be very helpful. Rachel's parents had a car accident. And they'll be watching their church service online, and that's fantastic because they can be part of it when they can't get to church. But they were longing to be at church because they realize that when they are together, that is when the building up happens. That's when it happens in in the coming together. And, And online is not a replacement for church. Some of you Africans call the online church self-medicating. You've heard that expression? I'm not going to church, I'm self-medicating. I'm going back to my home church back home. You're not. You're watching something online. You're not going back home. You're not in body with them. You're not being built up with them. You're not sat next to that annoying person who's going to ask you an annoying question and sanctify you a little bit. You're at home in the comfort of your bed not even have to walk anywhere, possibly eating your cereal at the same time. And what is that? How is that being built up? Hebrews chapter 10, the the verse that is often quoted in this situation, verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting meeting together is is the habit of some. 2,000 years ago is a habit. And then tragically, now it can be a habit. And what he says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if the day was drawing near 2,000 years ago, how much more should we be encouraging now with that day coming closer? Jesus is returning. And we have a responsibility as his people to be meeting together because it's in our meeting together where the building up happens. The building up happens where there is a coming together. In chapter 12, in verses 14 to 16, there's a talk of this one body principle. The one body principle doesn't work online. The hand is in Hamakki. The head is in Guinea. The foot is in New York. What sort of body is that? How are they helpful for one another? How are they a blessing to each other? How are they building each other up? They're not. And so these resources online can be a blessing, but it's not a substitute for meeting together. And so Paul lists a set of things that the Corinthians were to do when they were coming together. A hymn. Uh, Just incidentally, if you go back in your minds to COVID, when the hymns were sung, did you sing them at home by yourselves? Some people did, I know. But for a lot of people, the temptation was just to, uh, let's make coffee, it's hymn time. It's it's difficult to sing hymns by yourself. But it's much easier when you are together. It's much easier to sing and worship and praise God together corporately. And there's an encouragement of one another there. And so when we meet together, when the Corinthians were to meet together, they were told to have a hymn, uh, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And this is not a definitive list of, of what we're to do in church. Because we know elsewhere in the Bible, there's other instructions. If you go to 1 Timothy 4, it tells us in verse 13 that we should be reading the Bible. It says, until I come, in 1 Timothy 4.13, it will come up on the screen, uh, but please follow if, if you wish. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scriptures. And also we have exhortation and teaching there. 
And then in Acts 2 and 42, as this early church is coming together, the, the, the apostles uh, and, and the church family, as they, they came together, as they were baptized, as they came into the, those units that met together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the apostles' teaching is God's word, and the fellowshipping, being together, to breaking of bread, and prayers. And so we know that the communion service and the, the breaking of bread and, and prayers and fellowship are all parts of the church service that God wants us to have and we have when we come together. And then again in uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 and 22, it simply says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so there is a whole list of things in God's Word that should be happening within the church service. And, and, and this list in Corinthians may be shorter because he's applying it especially to the context of spiritual gifts. And, and we might think, well, it would have been better, Paul, if you'd given us a, a better list. Yes? Are we to have four songs with a hymn and then a reading and a hymn and a prayer? Or are we to have a whole bunch of worship for 45 minutes? Uh, or, or, or should we have the sermon at the beginning and then a response at the end? What are we meant to have? Well, it, it doesn't tell us what we're meant to have. There, there isn't a definitive list. There isn't an absolute order of service. But as always, God knows what's best. And I think that's why we're given this flexibility. And, and, and culture can affect that. And the disposition of the people can affect that. And there's other reasons. But there is something within this that is sacrosanct. There is something that remains timeless. And that is to let all things be done for the building up. That's the big point. That's the main point. That's what Paul is screaming to these people. As you come together, as God's word has been preached, as God's word has been fellowshipped around, as people are reading the word, as there are hymns, as there are songs, as there are revelations, as there are tongues, the big thing is this must be, must be, must be done for building up. The church is not a conference hall or a music hall or a venue for a concert. It's for the building up. You don't come to see a performance. You, you come to be built up as part of the church. And the Corinthians were in real trouble because in the context of their regular church meeting, they'd started missing the point. And they were using spiritual gifts for selfish reasons. And the building up was being lost. And selfishness was coming to the fore. And they had to be reminded and they had to be taught to let all things be done for the building up. And friends, the, the, the message for us now is exactly the same. It is exactly the same. We, we, we have, as, as we believe as a church, a slightly different list of things that we can do. As I've said before, the, the, the prophecy of the Old Testament, New Testament style prophecy and the apostolic gifts that are there are finished with the foundation of the church and the, 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 the giving of the whole canon of scripture that we have now. But everything that we do as a church should be done for the same principle. Let all things be done for the building up. And so as you come to the church service, you, you should be personally asking yourselves and praying that you be built up. And will you be able to help build up? Because it's not just about you being built up, it's about your brothers and sisters. It's about those around you being built up. I was... Really happy to see how the, the growth groups of this last week dovetail with what we're talking about here. and We're talking about loving the church. And the, the, the guy who was doing the video that we saw talked about the ministry of the pew. Yeah? The ministry of the seats. Yeah, we don't have pews in here. We have, we have seats that we sit on, yes? And as you are all sat here, 
You're expecting to be ministered from the front, aren't you? But also as you're all sat there, there's an expectation on you to have a ministry from that seat. And just as you expect to be built up from God's word, God is building us up using one another, using each other. And then so you have this ministry of the pure. And, and, and the guy last week on, the, on this video asked, what is your facial expression saying? Is your facial expression in church being a blessing to the preacher? Is he thinking, yes, this person's listening, this person's getting it? Or is he thinking, I wish that person had gone to bed earlier last night? And then as you are connecting with the sermon, is, is your attitude, is your face, is your building up and being a help and a blessing to the people around beside you? In, in the group that we were in, we were talking that just other people's actions can be really distracting. And, and we need to be thinking about this. Are we building each other up? Are we praying about building each other up? Is, is the attitude you come to church with conducive for being built up and conducive for building others up? Are your clothes a distraction? And what we wear is important. But, but sometimes clothing can be a distraction. I remember vividly being in a church in England and I was sat behind such an amazing hat, I was totally and utterly distracted. Uh, and, and there was nothing wrong with the hat except for it was, I think it was 15 peacocks had been killed to make this hat uh, and a whole sort of hedgerow of, and it was, it was elaborate and it was amazing and I remember nothing of the sermon. I was not built up, I was distracted. And I'd honestly imagine that if the lady who was wearing, and be thankful it was a lady that was wearing the hat, the lady that was wearing the hat, if she knew that that's what happened, she'd be mortified. She didn't want that. And sometimes just by the way we come, yeah? Gentlemen, if you are showing off too much muscle, yes? That could be a distraction to the girls. Or it could be a distraction to the bloke who's very envious because he's like me and he hasn't got those same muscles, yeah? We have to take this seriously. It's very, very practical. Or if there's too much leg or too much cleavage showing, ladies, that can be a huge distraction. And so we need to think of this. Is, is your phone being a distraction? Is your note-taking being a distraction? Is, is your tick a distraction? Yeah? If, you, if, you, if you have an affliction like that, then just work out where you need to sit. So you, it's practical, yeah? It's, we, we need to be a blessing to each other. And so as a church, as a church family, we need to ask ourselves, do the hymns and the songs build up? I'm so thankful for, for the choir and the group. And if they're, if they're thinking or singing something, they say, and we speak about it, is this, are the words of this going to build up? Or is, is the tune going to help us sing to God's praise? The way we read the Bible, is that building up? Is, is the screen a help or distraction? Do, do our prayers and prayer times build up? You say to brothers, don't pray for too long. You might pray people asleep. It's not a blessing. Maybe a few shorter prayers will help. How can we be building up? We should be asking this. Does the preached word build up? On, on Thursdays when we have testimony time, do our testimonies build up? Do they build up Christ and Christ crucified? Do they make us feel rather good? Because that's not what it's about. It's about building up. And so, brothers and sisters, we have this responsibility. And within church life, the, the elders, the leaders have particular responsibility, but you can pray for them. There's friends within our church family who pray for me and tell me they're praying for me. And that's such a blessing to know. And, and I know it, and I feel it. And, and I'm sure we're all blessed by it, but let's pray for these things. And, and if we have some other ideas, or if we see what another church is doing, we think, yes, that's, that, we should bring that in. We should ask ourselves the question, is this biblical? And will this build us up? And if it's biblical and it builds us up, then perhaps that would be a good thing to do. But if it's not biblical and if it doesn't build up, then no, we have to leave it away. We have to be faithful to what God is telling us to do. 
And friends, some of you, God willing, one day will escape the island. I'm not saying prophetically you will, but I'm just saying practically that's what normally happens. And then you'll have to go to another church. And when you go to another church, what you need to have on your minds as you choose another church is, is this church genuinely committed to the building up of the brothers and sisters? Yes, it may have an amazing facility. Yes, it may have amazing opportunities to do this or that. But does it build up? That's the benchmark. Let all things be done for building up. And then secondly, we, we see that all things should be done in order. We see this particularly from verses 27 to 20, 33, and then verse 40 at the end. And, and so Paul brings in very, very clear application and instruction to the Corinthians, particularly, particularly to their situation. Tongues, prophecies, and, and the ladies' roles in a particular part of their church life was an area that he honed into. And we're going to come and look at those examples in a moment. But before we look at those examples in in more depth, I want to work out and see what this overriding principle is. And so we're going to go to the end because verse 40 brings it together to a conclusion. But all these things should be done decently and in order. All these things should be done decently and and in order. We, we have an emphasis, all, yeah? It's, it's no good if this bit of the service is done decently in order, but that bit isn't, yeah? That, that's not what's being told here. It's the whole of the service should be done decently in, in order. Decently is an adverb, meaning a manner characterized by propriety and manners and contact. It's got to be done decently, sensibly, righteously. And the word order here is not talking about the order of service. I have an order of service here in front of me. This is not what it's been talked about. It's talked about being in good order or in an orderly way. Pastor Andrew loves his books. And the library is organized in an orderly way. Yes, there are commentaries. And they start at Genesis. And they go through to Revelation. And, and, and you don't look for Revelation books in Genesis because there's a good order there. It, it, it's, we know about order, don't we? I, I know particularly about order because I've just come back from Nigeria. And I was in a car. And we were on a dual carriageway. And I was thinking, something strange has happened because I'm on the same side of the road as I would be in Cyprus. Yeah, you're getting me here. It's a dual carriageway, yeah? And the steering wheel's on the wrong side. (laughs) And I should be on this side going that way, but I'm on this side going that way. And then there's lorries coming towards us on this side, and then there's lorries on that side and the other side overtaking us. And, And... no one seems to mind. Because the order has gone, yes. And, and, and the order causes real danger. And, and we're always praying, aren't we, on Thursdays for, for, for safety of families and loved ones in Nigeria. And part of that is because the order of the roads has broken down. And it becomes dangerous. And, and so say we suddenly said there's no speed limit on this road out here. There's no traffic lights to worry about. What would happen? I mean, it'd be an absolute mayhem, wouldn't it? Could, could, could you imagine? You just do what you like on the roads. Go what you like. It, it, it would make Lagos look like, I don't know, a very pleasant experience. <laughs> but with everything whizzing around and, and all these problems and all these challenges. Uh, and, and sometimes, sadly, our churches can look like our roads when they have no order. Everyone's going whatever way they fancy, whatever speed they want. doesn't matter, stop, come. And, and, and that is where the danger is because when that happens, people can't be built up. When that happens, people can't connect with what is going on. That there is a proper way to conduct our corporate worship. 
And, and we shouldn't have the world's attitude. You see, the world's attitude, if it feels good, do it. Yeah? If it feels good, do it. That's how the world works. And that's not how God is telling us to order our service. Now, of course, we want to be blessed. But we're going to be blessed in God's way, not by us demanding how to be blessed. Things went wrong right at the very, very beginning when Eve and Adam thought they could be blessed by taking that fruit. Yeah? They thought the blessing was in taking the fruit. They thought their happiness was in doing what they were told not to. The real blessing is in doing what God would have us to do. And this is God's way. And if you want to be blessed, if you want to grow, you need to have order in the service. And Paul has explained why this is important. He, he emphasizes and brings a conclusion to the end in verse 40, but all things should be done decently in, in order. And he's already said in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Our, our church services should be peaceful. Our church services should be not confusing. And, and as a church family, we are the children of God. And we like that title, don't we? We are the children of God. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We've been brought into God's family. We are children of God. And as children of God, we should be reflecting the image of God in our services. And that's a God not of confusion. And that's a God of peace. And so as his children within our church service, as we corporately worship together, we should be reflecting that peace. And we should be aiming not for confusion, but aiming for us to be able to connect intellectually and connect with our hearts in a righteous way. And friends, this was not happening at Corinth. At Corinth, there was excessive speaking in tongues, and that was bringing confusion on the church. There was excessive speaking in tongues, and that was meaning that the non-Christian was thinking, what am I here for? There was excessive speaking in tongues, and the church wasn't being built up. There was confusion, and the peace was being lost. And there was a lack of prophecy. They needed to hear God's word being brought to them. They didn't have the Bible. They needed prophecy then. And the prophecy, and the prophecy was being brought by Paul and others, and that's what they needed to hear. And because they hadn't got that, they were missing out on being built up. And instead of being built up, they were being confused by all this jabberwocky. And all this mess that was going on was meaning that they were leaving the service, maybe feeling emotionally high, but with no ability to be able to contend with the realities of life. Friends, if you leave a church service on an amazingly emotionally high, and you're walking down the street singing that rhyme that's in your mind, and you're thinking wonderful thoughts, and the phone rings and tells you your mother's died... That evaporates. And it's only the truth of God's word that will hold you stable. And that's why we need to be built up in God's word. Because that truth is consistent. That truth is unchanging. Now, yes, there are times when God brings that truth back to us in songs and psalms and, and music for sure. But that's because that's been done to build up. And if that's not what the emphasis is happening in the church, then how is that going to build up? And how is that going to be useful for you, brother and sister, when you're outside in that situation? And the Corinthian ladies, by their questioning and commentary at the wrong time, they were, bringing the, they were breaking the peace of the service and they were bringing confusion. And God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. And then Paul just adds this little phrase, as in all the churches of all the saints. This wasn't just a teaching for Corinth. This is a teaching for all the church, of all the saints. It is for us right now at LPC. Right now at LPC, we need to be taking this seriously. And we need to be doing all things in order, as, as God's word sets out. And so he has some examples. He talks about tongues. Verses 27 to 28. And, and, and he's totally counterculture to them, yeah? 
They're used to all coming together and all shouting and, and, and bringing this all as a great noise. And he says, no, two or three. In turn. If you can't control it, you don't do it. And it had to be interpreted. And if there was no interpretation there, if there's no one able to interpret it, there'd be no tongues. Full stop. Done. Let each of them keep silent in the church. And sorry, speak to God himself. That's, that's a little later. That's not that. Sorry, wrong reference there. Forgive me. But, but how can we apply this? We, 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 we're told, we know that they're told there uh, to keep silence. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence. And in the church, and speaking to himself and to God. Uh, that's, that's the verse on there, 29, 28, sorry. And so how do we apply that? Well, if what you're going to do is not going to build up the church, if what you're going to do is going to cause confusion, if what you're going to do is going to break the peace, shut up. That's what it's saying here. It's as simple as that. If what you're going to do is not going to build the church up, if what you're going to do is going to cause confusion, if what you're going to do is going to break the peace, shut up up and keep silent. Prophecy. Verses 29 through to 33. Again, he's talking about order here. Two or three. Not everyone all at once. Two or three. In turn. And it's to be assessed to see if it's truth. I mean, these days before they had the whole of God's word and they needed the gift of uh, discernment and, and the gift of discernment was given to particular people and they could assess to see if this prophecy was true and this prophecy was righteous and they should be listening to it. And they were to have order and understanding. That was what was most important. And it was so that the people can learn and be encouraged. So the people could be built up. And so how do we apply this? Well, we don't go for New Testament and Old Testament prophecy now. We, we believe that that part of God's, canon, it, it, that part of God's time is, is finished. We now have the whole of God's word. But what we need is God's word to be opened up. What we need is for God's word to be preached and proclaimed and taught. What we need is for God's word to be engaged with. And it needs to be done in order and in understanding. And, and so you could be saying, well, how do I do that? You pray for your pastors. You pray for those who are preaching. You pray for those that are teaching. And, and, and practically you think, well, how can I come with a mind that's going to take these things on? Because sometimes the guy who is preaching could be very simple. It could be very poignant. But because you were up till four in the morning watching a series, you could be fast asleep. And that's not his fault. That, that, that's your fault. So there's, there's a working together here. But really, brothers and sisters, our responsibility is to pray for the pastors, pray for those that are leading the service. They've got a, a huge responsibility on their, on their shoulders. Praying that they'll be used by God to, to build up the church. Praying that you yourself will be in a position where you can be built up. Praying that it will be kept at peace, that it will be intelligible, it will be intelligible so people can understand it and engage with it in all that they do. Practically, we should be praying, praying that God would be using his people to proclaim his word in a way that builds up. And in verses 24 to 35, we have this lady's role brought in. And, and these verses can be tricky and what seems to be going on here is some of the ladies in the church in Corinth were speaking out of place. And we don't know explicitly exactly what was happening there, but there's a couple of things that we could be thinking about. That The passage in the context has just been talking about prophecy, and the passage in the context has just been talked about this prophecy being weighed up, being assessed for what it is. And, and if, a, if a woman is weighing up prophecy that are being said by a man, then we could conclude that what she's doing is she's putting herself in authority over the man. Yeah? Do, do you see that? Follow that argument there? Follow that logic there? So a guy has brought a prophecy. The lady has jumped up and she said, no, that's not right. 
Yeah? She has observed the authority of the man. Yeah? And, and, and that's where it cuts across with, with Paul's writing in 1 Timothy 2. And this helps. It says, well, let a woman learn quietly with all submission. I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And, and in this passage, it talks, in Corinthians, it talks about the law, and the law in Genesis. And Genesis 2, 20 to 24, outline the creation order. Now, now, we've said this before, and it's worth saying it again. Men and women are equal. Yes. And, 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 and sexism in an unrighteous way, is absolutely wrong across the board. But males and females were made differently by God and they have different roles. And God in his sovereignty formed Adam first and gave Adam a responsibility and an authority as the leader of the household. And that is not to be observed. And so it's thought that that's one of the things that was going on in that situation. Equality in humanity, but different roles in function. Now, it could also be that she wasn't actually doing that, but the wife had heard something that had been said, and she nudges her husband. Is that true, dear? And he's trying to concentrate and says, what's that? And there's a dialogue going on between husband and wife that gets a bit more frantic and fraught because she's not getting it and he's trying to explain it. And the church service is going on and what's happening? There's a distraction. There's a distraction going on, yeah? And I'm sure you've been in church situations where you, you've thought to yourself, I wish that person muttering behind me would just shut up. I want to concentrate, yeah? We, we can cause distractions, uh, and, and those people chatting, they may have legitimate questions. And it seems as though this, this lady in this situation possibly did have a legitimate question that she needed to learn something. And it's not saying, Yo, woman, you're second rate, don't learn. No, you find out, you talk at home. You don't disrupt the service. There are services for the building up of us all. But if you're having your own little cozy conversation in the, in the corner between you and your wife or your husband about what's been said over there, it's not going to be a blessing to everybody. Have that at home. It's not right. It's not the right place uh, to do it. And so we, we can look at this passage, we can look at these verses, and we can get really excited about gender roles and, and applying that beyond there. And that's not where I'm going today. That's not the emphasis today. I want to, to, to broaden the application to us all today. And I want to ask the question is, is there anything that you do in church that's a distraction? These ladies, for whatever it was they're doing, whether it was they were interpreting the prophecy or whether it was they were talking to their husbands, they were causing a distraction. They were breaking the peace. And so we're not going to go into that side of, 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 of the gender and leadership and male and female and all those kinds of things. That's another day, another subject, another time. But for today as we apply it to ourselves here at LPC, the question I want you to ask yourselves in the honesty of your heart, do you cause a distraction? Are the things that you do when you're sat there that cause a distraction? Because your distraction can cause confusion. The way you do or don't do something may mean that someone else misses part of the service. Are we sensitive to, 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 to looking out for each other and, and caring for each other? You see, I'm absolutely convinced that if the Apostle Paul was, was writing to the church now, he would say all phones should be on silent. I'm convinced of it. I've said it already. D does your phone distract you? Does your phone distract other people? Does the flamboyant way you take your notes distract people? I don't think it does. I think in many ways, as a, as a preacher, this is such an encouraging, encouraging place to preach. Because I see you, I have eye contact, and people are listening, listening, listening. And I thank God for that, and I praise God for that. But are our ushers doing all they can to help minimize destructions? I thank God and pray that they do. But this is where it's get very, very practical to us. Let's not get caught up and all excited about what women men should or shouldn't do. That's not the big point at this moment in time. The big point is, are we as individuals causing a distraction?
can we be better listeners? Can we be better ministers in the pew? Can we be used by God in the building up of one another? After the service finishes, are you a distractor? Or are you a builder-upper? <laughs> Sorry, my English isn't very good. But I like that. Are you a builder-upper or are you a distractor? Is immediate conversation about Liverpool or Real Madrid or F1 or crypto or your mujeret or your assignment or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mum or your dad or this or that or the other? Because, friends, they are going to distract. They're not going to build up. Is your immediate concern after the service to think, this person hasn't been here before. I want them to feel welcome. My friend looks upset. Perhaps something in the service hit home to them. I want to go and comfort them. I wasn't quite sure of that third point. Let me ask someone what that third point was and we can share it with each other. Are you building up? Or are you distracting? It's great for us to have fellowship after service, and that's important. But our fellowship should be to build up and not to distract. And God willing, next week we will finish this chapter as we come to that last uh, major point that uh, I think will be sort of our concluding point and bring everything uh, together, I hope, God willing. And that is all things should be done under the authority of God's word. And I'm going to leave it there uh, for today. And I just want to ask you to take a few moments to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you uh, what you need to, to learn and take home from today's sermon, from, from, from what God is saying from his word to you today. Uh, and then I will pray and then we will sing uh, our closing hymn in, in a moment. As we come to an end of this time in your word... I personally ask for forgiveness for when I haven't built up or done things in order as I should have done. Lord God, help me and help the other elders and, and the preachers and the teachers uh, and those involved in leading the services at LPC to be very mindful of the fact that we should do it in order and to the building up and under the authority of your word. And oh Lord God, as we're all together here as, as a church family, may you help each of us to see our own responsibility in building up and doing things in good order. Oh Lord God, may we be happy to be under the authority of your word. May that be a delight to us like your psalmist teaches. But may we also, oh Lord God, be helped week in, week out to come together with the mindset of being built up and building others. May we come in a mindset of being content and happy and doing things in order. And through this, O oh Lord God, may we be built up. And may your name be honored and glorified. And may your kingdom come. And may your will be done. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. Amen.